Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's Scripture Reflections. I asked myself a question, and the question is not, what do I want to say? But God, what do people need to hear? I think that's a good question to ask because I think we can get on our kind of high horse and this needs to be said, but often what people need to hear is what we need to hear too. And when we start there, the thing that's ruminating in our hearts, I think brings out a really good sermon. Welcome to Preach, a podcast from America Media on the art of Catholic preaching. I'm your host, Ricardo De Silva, a Jesuit priest from South Africa, associate editor at America Media in New York, and also an associate pastor at the Church of St. Francis Xavier. In each episode, we take you into the minds and hearts of some of the finest preachers in the Catholic Church. We listen to their homilies, learn what makes them great, and draw inspiration to keep preaching the good news. This week on Preach, we are joined by Kayla August, Kayla is a black Catholic born and raised in New Orleans. She is presently pursuing doctoral studies with a focus on preaching as a form of education at the School of Theology and Ministry at Boston College. She hopes, through her preaching, to enliven the young adult faith community and also to help inspire marginalized voices like her own to play an active role in the Catholic Church. Kayla, welcome to Preach. Thank you. So excited to be here. It's so good to have you, and you're our very first woman on Preach, so delighted to hear your voice. Super excited. That's awesome. Yeah, great to be here. The readings you are preaching on are for the 17th Sunday in Ordinary Time. We're continuing with the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, and you've really focused your homily on the Gospel reading. What's happening in that Gospel? Yes. Jesus is describing what the kingdom of heaven is like and comparing it to a pearl of great price, which we have to remember that a pearl in that day is like a rare diamond in ours, so something that was really precious. And as Jesus does so, he is talking about what this kingdom is and teaching the disciples what it would be like when the good and bad are separated at the end of time. And what's interesting is that at the end, he asked them point blank, do they understand? And they say yes, which doesn't often happen in the gospel. So that's an exciting moment for them. Like We nailed it, is what they're saying. You obviously don't have a parish that you're preaching regularly every Sunday in. But what audience do you have in mind as you were preparing this homily? That's a great question. Um, yeah, I guess I would call myself an itinerant preacher, right? I travel and <laughs> preach all over the place. Just like Jesus. Just like Jesus. Oh, my gosh. I love that. You just got to find your mound in the world and preach on it. Um, what is interesting for me is that because sometimes my preaching is digital, like working with Catholic women preach and other things that are online. When I'm preaching a homily like this one, I prepared this homily especially for 
the listeners of America Magazine. I'm thinking about that digital audience wherever it could be in the world. I'm picturing the kingdom of God and the people that make it up. It could be family members. It could be friends. It could be the person behind me at the checkout line in the grocery store. It's the person who will hear this maybe on their way to work and get to have a deeper encounter with God. And that's always my goal. Wonderful. We will now hear Kayla August's homily for the 17th Sunday in Ordinary Time, Year A, especially recorded and prepared for preach. I had the opportunity of teaching a second grade class to preach. Sparked by the book, The Four Pages of a Sermon, I set the goal of aiding second graders in making something a little less ambitious, a four-sentence sermon, complete with many pulpit for proclamation. It was a passage on the kingdom of heaven. So before they began to write, I gave them time to reflect. I asked them to start by picturing what the kingdom of heaven was like, and then I gave them time to draw it on paper. With markers and crayons, they depicted what made up their vision of heaven. They drew water slides and alligators, sunshine and celebrities, and the best was a picture of the heavenly gate with the bat symbol stretched across it. And of course, Batman guarding the gate. Guess St. Peter had nothing on the protector of Gotham City. As I saw their pictures, I was impressed by their ability to dream. Few of us linger in the question of what the kingdom of heaven is long enough to begin to answer or imagine that. Something so perfect, it's just as hard to believe in as it is to describe. But in this passage, Jesus gives us a metaphorical glimpse to show that the kingdom of heaven is the greatest thing we can imagine. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like finding a treasure buried in a field and out of joy selling all you have to buy that field just to obtain the precious treasure. He says, it's like a merchant who spends his life searching for fine pearls. And when he finds that pearl of great price, he sells everything he has to buy it. The kingdom of heaven is like a net thrown into the sea, he says, which collects fish of every kind. And the good found in that net will be there until the end of the age. According to Jesus, the kingdom of heaven is better than anything we can imagine and hope for, which means it is sunshine and water slides and perhaps a little Bruce Wayne too. It's all that we hope for and more. It's the thing in our life we search for, but never believe it can be found. It's our deepest hope, our greatest longing, our most audacious wish fulfilled for eternity. It's more than our wildest dreams. It's a pearl of great price that can't be measured. The problem is, we hear about this kingdom, but we don't get to see it in this world. So it becomes hard to believe in this perfect place. Particularly when the world we live in not only lacks perfection, but is filled with harm and destruction. When pain and despair are the only things that seem limitless. As addiction rates persist and suicide rates rise, particularly for LGBTQ youth. As natural disasters destroy and wipe out communities, leaving nothing but shards in their wake. As institutions sworn to protect the most vulnerable misuse and maltreat the innocent under their care. We see it when governmental policies pass laws or fail to pass them, causing more hurt than healing in an already divided nation. We see it as innocent people in war-torn countries suffer without end. And we ask, 
why his burden is heavy and yoke far from light from those who spend their life in desperate need of God's aid. We realize it when a friend who just celebrated that their cancer went into remission finds out that the cancer is back again. We experience it when the hope for a child is met by the inability to have one or when the love we thought would be forever is lost without hope of return. In moments like these, the kingdom of heaven is not only far away, it feels like a silly thing to believe in at all. Because the kingdom of heaven is mixed with good and bad. Jesus names the net of the kingdom takes in both good and bad fish, which leaves a heaven on earth that can feel more like hell. It means when we hope for angels on the journey, we sometimes find devils instead. And that the pain we feel, the sorrow we endure, the troubles we face will continue until we reach the heavenly gates. Our lives are spent sorting through the good and the bad and searching for the pearl hidden in our midst. So how do we sort the glimpses of heaven from the moments of hell on earth? Well, sometimes we happen to glimpse it by accident. And sometimes we have to search until it's found. If we think about it, I think most of us have glimpsed the kingdom of heaven on earth. It's the place where the seemingly impossible becomes actual and all the stars seem to align. It's in the brief moment when all we could ever want or imagine is close enough to grasp. It's the thing that not only meets our expectations, it exceeds them. It's when what we hope for becomes real. It's when your favorite team ends their losing streak of years or decades to win the championship and you feel like you're holding the trophy in your hands. It's hearing the word, I love you, or will you marry me, spoken for the first time by the person you love so much you think your heart will burst with joy. It's giving birth to your first child and realizing that it's actually possible to hold the world in your arms. It's getting the call that your cancer went into remission and the days that were once numbered become a daily gift, a living miracle. It's finally reaching that goal you set years ago after months of failure and hurt and disappointment and disbelief. Now you're here and you realize that the hard nights have become a glorious morning. It's the pearl of great price that is so precious that you would sell all you have to buy it, all your money, all your resources. Paradise is a moment when we glimpse eternity in an instant and when all we have and want is with us. When we can picture no better world and our hearts at peace. The problem is that it's often just a glimpse. We get to hold it for a while and then the world breaks in. It's gone before it arrives. And the kingdom that we undeniably experience becomes the kingdom still yet to come. So how do we start to realize the kingdom of heaven on earth? We need what Rodney Reeves calls kingdom eyes. Kingdom eyes allows for a vision that breaks through the fog. It allows us to uncover what is hidden in the field of our day to day, the pearl of great price that we've passed over right before our eyes. When we glimpse it, not only changes our vision, but it changes our perspective. It reorients our world and alters our priorities so that the glimpse of heaven we receive becomes a vision we want to enact. 
It allows us to see that that seemingly troubled teenager that has been discounted by all has a deeper story and remarkable gifts the world has not yet seen. It's when the hardship of illness that marks your days as numbered becomes the one thing that finally allows you to live in the way you were afraid to before, taking no day for granted. It's when the aid you thought you were sent to give to others ends up being a far bigger gift to you as you discover that riches given are rarely monetary and you realize the ones you came to serve have far more to teach you. Kingdom eyes flip the world upside down and show us that nothing is impossible for God. As our eyes open, so do our hearts and our mind and we change as the world around us does. We would buy, sell, search our lives to uncover what our actions allow us to obtain at that moment. It calls us to work for joy and justice instead of just hoping for it. When we are able to see what the world could be, we realize our call to do all we can to make the vision a reality. Kingdom eyes motivate us not to wait for the kingdom yet to come, but to begin building that kingdom right now like Jesus did. The kingdom Jesus spoke of was both here and now and also yet to come. As Jesus preached about the kingdom of heaven to come, he enacted the kingdom in his midst. As he modeled love with his ways and spoke love with his words. As he healed the hurting and gave hope to the hopeless. As he turned toward the leper as others turned away. He showed that of all the healing he could do, of all the words he could speak, of all the lessons he could teach, the most transformative was the power of love in action. It was a love that challenged society's standards of propriety and pushed the boundaries of convention. A love that spoke of a God beyond regulation, a God beyond imagination. A love that inspired and converted hearts, one encounter at a time. A love that challenged what loving really meant. These simple moments shook the system and opened eyes. And preparing the kingdom to come, Jesus showed those around him that the kingdom to come was not as far as they believed. He showed that it could be found in the here and now if they wanted it to be. Because the kingdom of God is the fullness of love realized on earth. This transformative love is something we all contain. It is a power not limited to our Lord. It lives within us, but it requires something of us. It requires more than mere words. It requires our actions. So if you have the privilege of glimpsing paradise, what would it take to make it a reality for others? What would it take? Would it take your finances? Not giving from the crumbs of your income, but giving from the surplus making sure that you don't have an abundance when someone else doesn't have enough to survive? Would it take your humility? The ability to admit your mistakes and your inadequacies to say out loud that you were wrong so that you could apologize for the harm you caused and take steps to ensure that harm doesn't happen again? Would it take your honesty? Using your power to speak up to a person or institution of power that you know has caused or is causing harm, even though it might mean losing your clout, your position of authority, or even your job to defend another. Would it take your patience? 
The day-in and day-out work of showing up until justice is achieved, making signs, writing letters, gathering people, raising money and raising your voice until finally an inch is gained in the miles until true justice is achieved. Would it take your courage? The courage to speak your truth even when others deny it. Because the silence is deafening for you and for others whose voices aren't heard. And your voice may lead to their liberation. Would it take your forgiveness to let go of your pride, to give up your need to be right, to put down your walls and pick up the phone and call the person you've been avoiding because you might be wrong too? Would it take your time and your sacrifice, giving up your dream of heaven to work for a greater one, a one where we all get to enter heaven together, where we work to build a place where everyone is welcome and the many don't sacrifice for the few? What would it take? Because achieving the kingdom means being willing to give up all you have to attain the good to come. Because your moment of heaven should not be the last. And when we experience divine love on earth, it shines and it can't go unrecognized. It can't be unseen. Our kingdom eyes in action open the eyes of others. And we realize that Christ can turn the world upside down or right side up again with the hands and feet of the people of God. Christ is inviting you to build the kingdom on earth so that everyone in life gets a glimpse of what's to come. If we work to spread the love of Christ preached about and work to build the kingdom he spoke about, then no one will ever feel locked outside of heaven's gates. Instead, we will bring a little bit of heaven to earth until thy kingdom comes to be on earth what it is in heaven. So when Christ turns to us in the eyes of another and asks with their need, do you understand what I'm telling you? Like the apostles in this scripture, I hope you can undoubtedly say yes. And then you can start building the kingdom today. That was Kayla August for Preach. When we return from the break, we'll hear more about Kayla's passion for lay preaching. Kayla, you said that you had a digital audience in mind. What you didn't say was that you had me in mind. Um, oh, that's good to know. <laughs> your, your homily really spoke to me, especially this idea of the kingdom of heaven, right? The kingdom of God. Uh, because I was recently at a preaching conference at the Martin Teaching Conference at the University of Notre Dame, and I attended this workshop Preaching from Your Deepest Desires by Father Raymond Kemp, a DC native at Georgetown. And he invited us at the very beginning of the workshop to ask this question, right? What is the kingdom of heaven like for you? And we just went around the room for the whole session. It was like a 90-minute session basically answering that question. But it was a really transformative moment for me, I think, in my formation, because I don't think we often ask the questions that Jesus poses, we don't often try to answer them from our own perspective. And I think you did that, uh, you know, by going into water slides <laughs> and Batman and all kinds of things. But I wonder what was behind 
that impetus to ask that question. What's the kingdom of heaven like for you? Yeah. When I think of God, when I think of uh, the Jesus that we know, it's funny that we think we go to him for all our answers, but when we look at the Gospels, he asks a lot more questions. He's a man of deep thought that brings us to reflection. And so when I am preaching, I'm trying to do it in the pedagogy of Jesus, right? Let's ask a good question and let's get people thinking because that's what Jesus would do. And in that question, maybe we'll find something we never even thought we could imagine. It's very much a thing that they say about Jesuits, you know, ask them a question, they'll ask you five more. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I was trained by Jesuits, so that says something. So what is your process? You know, as you think about the homily that you've been asked to prepare, what is your process in bringing the scriptures to life? I am very intentional about preparing any sermon that I do. You can ask friends. I have the gift of being at Boston College where they have this wonderful theological library and I get like 12 books off the shelf. Like preparing a sermon is my excitement. I'm like, I get to read uh, commentary. I get to read different translations. I get to sit in what was this meant to be, the historical context, the different ways in which a word can be spoken and change the meaning. And in that, I ask myself a question. And the question is not, what do I want to say? But God, what do people need to hear? I think that's a good question to ask because I think we can get on our kind of high horse of this needs to be said, but often what people need to hear is what we need to hear too. And when we start there, the thing that's ruminating in our hearts, I think brings out a really good sermon. And so what did God tell you the people needed to hear? I mean, we've just heard it, but in a nutshell, what was God telling you? What was the thrust? It was to imagine the kingdom on earth and how we can make it a reality. Simple, yet difficult. (laughs) (laughs) Very difficult indeed. So let's talk about your particular gift. I mean, you've chosen to study preaching through the lens of education, preaching as a form of education. It sounds pretty straightforward, but can you tell me what that means? Well, preaching and teaching are often put into separate things, but I think they're actually deeply intertwined. When we preach, we teach something about who God is, or we get people to start asking themselves that question. And we model what it is to wrestle, to wrestle with faith in our lives. All of that is a lesson. So when I think about preaching in the world and what it could be in our church in new ways, I think about what are the boundaries we put on preaching and how can it push outside those boundaries? Because even when I think about Jesus, he pushed outside the boundaries of the liturgical space for preaching. So where could preaching be that would teach us something new? Let's talk a little bit about those boundaries, because I'm not sure that everybody knows about lay preaching. And I wonder, before we go very deeply into that, can you tell us, you know, who is a lay preacher and where lay preachers ordinarily are preaching in the church? Yeah. So I think the question I get most often, if I'm honest, um, when someone hears that I'm preaching, it's never being upset. I think it's always like excited. And it's like, where is that happening? It's like genuine surprise and awe that it's happening. And like, I want to hear more of it. Um, And for me, again, I call myself an itinerant preacher because I travel everywhere to do so. But it's preaching at retreats. It's preaching at prayer services. I often travel to different Catholic schools and speak to educators and lead retreats for them. Um, I sometimes, and I love to preach to my college students. Those are my favorite kind of times of preaching. These moments in in our lives where we might not even realize preaching is happening, right? Um, 
all of those moments are moments that I grab on a hold to and say, this is a moment where God can be known. But they are liturgical spaces as well, right? I mean, or at least yes, spaces within within the mass or within formal liturgy, like communion services, taking communion to the sick or to the housebound. There are opportunities, I think, for lay people to preach, if not during the homily, certainly to preach as a post-communion reflection. So, I mean, there are opportunities within the ordinary liturgical experience uh, of most Catholics to hear lay people preaching. Yes, honestly, my most consistent lay preaching, um, I was the head of an all-female hall, um, and we had mass in that hall. And every Sunday, I would preach a very short sermon. So, we would invite a priest. Obviously, he would be doing the homily. And at the end of the Mass, during the announcements, I would do what I called spiritual nuggets. Mm-hmm. Spiritual nuggets, is what I explained, was, you know, the priest might have given you dinner, but this is a little dessert. That's going to linger with you. <laughs> and I gave a little I love short, dessert, by the way. Everyone loves dessert. That's why I said it. It was like, you know, three to five minutes, but it was something... I know my community so well, right? So I know what's on their hearts. I know what's sitting with them. And so I could take the gospel and in three minutes tell them something that they were like, how did she know that? (laughs) You know, and it left with them. And that was my chance to do that every single Sunday. So there are moments for sure. and And I think those moments have great impact. And I think those moments shouldn't be missed. What do you think lay preachers, whether women or men, you know, what do lay preachers bring to the pews? I think we each bring something unique to the preaching moment. I think everyone has a different story, a different context that they come from. And when we actually speak that, we allow ourselves to see the vastness of God moving in this church. That God doesn't only move one way or through one person, it moves through all of us. There's a quote by a woman named Sister Peg who says, each of us is a word of God spoken only once. And I really believe that. So for me, the preaching moment for a lay person is an opportunity to have God speak through them, to realize that our baptismal authority has something that moves within us and that the census fidelium, the sense of the faithful that we have within this community can be spoken through us. That is a powerful moment because it makes us realize that we participate in church and we're not just receptacles, but we're givers to this wonderful community. Tell me something. For you, what is it like to have this opportunity to preach? The first time you preached in front of a congregation, what was that like? Yeah, I often end up preaching at prayer services or, you know, other unique events. So it's not often in front of a congregation. One time that I got to do it that was really powerful. I was actually traveling with the Notre Dame Folk Choir. We were in the Holy Land and it was something incredible to me Uh, as a Catholic and as a Christian, walking the steps of Jesus is something we dream about. And I got to be in that space. And I got to be in one of the most pivotal spaces in the upper room. In the upper room, there is a chapel. And I got to preach on the Pentecost readings, the, pe- the readings where they sat in the upper room and got sent forth. During the Mass, during the space of the homily, I was invited to come up and preach. And it was something that was really powerful. It was powerful because I knew the students there. I loved them. And as we left outside, one of the students came up to me. And she had tears in her eyes. And she said, I've never seen a woman do that before. And it really meant a lot to me. It was so simple. And it was so powerful. And I remember being speechless. Because I could tell it meant so much to her. Preaching 
is a day in and day out work. I study languages. I am learning how to take Hebrew and Greek and do all that I can. And in moments when it gets hard, I think of that moment. I think of that moment because it reminds me that preaching matters, that each of us has something to share about God, and that when it's witnessed in us, it not only sparks something in someone, it inspires them. So just to bring us back to your homily, I mean, you were talking about putting us into people's experience, putting us into your own experience. You started that homily with a child's vision, right? The, the eyes of the child and, and how the child sees the kingdom of God. Yeah. Why a child? That's a good question. You know, you should ask Jesus. Because <laughs> Jesus says that, that the, the kingdom of heaven, um, that no one understands it more than children. And I think it's because as we get to be older, as we get to be adults, we, we get so clouded. You know, we get jaded. We have experienced the world in ways that we stop believing in its beauty because we've seen so much of its pain. And children don't have that. They love loud. They love hard. They, they meet you and uh, instantly your best friends. I mean, what a gift. And I think that type of person is the person closest to the love of Jesus and who understands how a world can be that great because they're living in a world that they can see as that great right now. For me, one of the most challenging, but I think also some of my more successful preaching moments are preaching with children, right? Often for me, I throw out a question and it's it's a dangerous and very risky strategy with children because you have no idea what you're going to get. But so often they throw something out, which is like, it, it just completely stumps me, right? And they see that and they see that they are heard um, and their parents see it and it's like, children have this great wisdom that they're really able to impart. But there's also an opportunity, I think, when preaching for children or preaching with children, that we preach the message in the simplest way possible. And so it is conveyed also to the oldest members of our congregation, right? Absolutely. It's There was apparently a practice done where they got a group of doctoral students and they had them go to a, a second grade classroom, I want to say. And they had to explain their dissertation topic to a second grader. If you've ever heard a dissertation topic in your life, you know that they are the most complicated, like specified things in the world. And when you're explaining them to your mom, she's like, I don't know what you study. So to explain it to a second grader is boiling it down to the root and saying, what am I actually studying? What's at the heart? And so I agree with you. When we preach the gospel to a child, we boil it down to the root and say, what's at the heart of this? I would argue that's love. But the gospel then becomes something, this nugget, the seed that can be planted and grow. What's at the heart of preaching for you? It's a love of Jesus that inspires me how to live anew every day. How to see the world with those kingdom eyes. How to not give up when I feel knocked down. How in moments when in life, when the people we love or even the church we love can disappoint us, that we know that the God we love will never disappoint us. God is always with us. That God is compelling because that love is compelling. And I think for me, as a member of this church and as somebody who's going to be on a journey their whole lives growing as a Christian, that love keeps me here. It grounds me to this church and it grounds me to the people in it. We'll leave it there. Thank you so much, Kayla. That was wonderful. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to Preach. You can find the readings and a link to the transcript for Kayla's homily in our show notes. This podcast is made possible by the generous support of the Compelling Preaching Initiative, a project of Lilly Endowment, Inc. Preach is produced by me and Maggie Van Dorn. Kevin Christopher Robles engineered this episode, and Frank Tewson designed the theme score and composed original music for the podcast. Sebastian Gomes is our executive producer. We recorded in the William J. Loeschitz Studio in New York City. And a very special thank you to Kayla's sister, Keon Feaster, for her amazing technical support. If you've heard a great homily recently or know a great preacher you would like to recommend for this podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Just click the link in our show notes. You can also follow me on Twitter at RickDSSJ. That's R-I-C-D-S-S-J. And before we go, did you know that American Media can deliver a new scripture reflection to your inbox every day? If you're a subscriber, they're in your inbox. Just look out for them. If not, become a digital subscriber today for just $5.99 a month. It's the best way to support our work here on Preach. The link is in our show notes. For American Media, I'm Ricardo De Silva. Until next time, keep preaching the good news. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.